welcome to the third episode of the Mr. Opinionated Podcast. This month, I sit down with disability and LGBT rights campaigner Angel Rulofs to discuss inclusivity in Hollywood. Hello, and welcome back to the Mr. Opinionated Podcast. This is the voice of Mr. Opinionated, Nathan Major, speaking to you after the recorded interview with Angel Ruloffs. Here to remind you of my written reviews available at mropinionatedweb.com. As I talk to you, I'm currently writing up my review of Shazam, which is the latest instalment in the DCEU series. By the time this goes out, there will be several more available to read. This including If Beale Street Could Talk and uh, Dumbo, the latest film from Tim Burton. Also to view is my review of Captain Marvel and Us, the latest horror experience from acclaimed director Jordan Peele. All these to view again at mropinionatedweb.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Mr. Opinionated Podcast, episode 3. And joining me today is a friend of mine, Angel Rulofs. Hi. She's here. He's here, sorry. <laughs> to um Well, it's it's they them. They. So right, okay. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> They're here to discuss in, inclusive inclusivity in films um across all areas of Hollywood. This all came about through um my first episode for those of you who listened to it. I um, discussed how I didn't think Black Panther was in a Best Picture worthy film. Uh, it felt like a like there to tick a quota, which I very much disagreed with. And from there, I got talking to Angel, and I thought um, probably best to get a, a wider perspective on inclusivity in films. So yeah, here we are. Um, so what's your story, Angel? See, now I've just got Fresh Prince of Bel-Air running in my head. <laughs> um, well, um, well, I go by they, them pronouns. So my sort of, shall we go with, the way I identify is non-binary mm-hmm. or agender. Yeah. I'm still exploring what exactly that means to me, even though at 31, I should technically have figured this out, that life isn't that simple. <laughs> And I also sexually identify as panromantic asexual, which mm-hmm. kind of sounds a bit like a grocery list for the confused. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so it's basically, I don't feel all that sexually attracted to people, but romantically, gender doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. more personality-based than genitalia. Yeah. Um, for those who are unaware, um, pansexual isn't a sexual attraction to kitchen appliances. It's um, it's, it's a sexual attraction to pandas, apparently. <laughs> no, it's just from the Greek etymology of everything, I believe. Yeah. I'm a bit of a linguistics nerd. Yeah. My brain's going blank. Well, I just kind of see it as a, a nicer way of saying bisexual, even though they don't technically mean the same thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like they're on the same deck of the boat. Mm-hmm. But they're on different sides, ish, ish. You know, like there's, you know, like you've got section A and then the section B. It's same umbrella. Yeah. But there's. I do prefer to identify myself as as pan rather than bisexual myself. So yeah, sometimes it's a much nicer definition. Sometimes it's just a lot easier to be like, oh yeah, I'm bi, and people like, oh yeah, I understand that. So you're just like men and women. I'm like men, women, 
other variations. Yeah. It's like uh, the comedian Joe Lysett. Um, he identifies himself as bisexual on stage, but personally identifies as pansexual because mm. he, he doesn't... There's some, something to do with he doesn't feel like talking about pansexuality on stage comes it's, across very, very well, so he just says bisexual. And, it's yeah. a lot easier to sort of explain instead of just going strange like oh yeah I'm, I'm pan and just like yeah. wait you're, and then you're a pan it's like, it no all. no 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 it's like oh peter pan like no oh, oh my goodness just bye I yeah just don't but. care <laughs> <laughs> and then I've I've been met a few times with oh so you're just greedy I'm like no, no. I, I'm just desperate there's a slight difference <laughs> and then the humour escalates into something a bit more serious and it's just like well, why can't you pick a side I'm like well why, why should limit you yourself yeah why if you're attracted to someone why be like oh i'm sorry like your gender or your genitalia doesn't match up to what i'm supposed to like so yeah because of this rule set by this one person i can't be in a relationship with you i have to deny myself of potentially finding the love of my life or potentially finding the love of the night <laughs> depending so either mr it's... or mrs right or mr or mrs right now yeah <laughs> or just somebody right now it's, <laughs> it's... yeah yeah <laughs> so um I, as a rule i like to start off my podcast with uh one talking about one new film and one old film and i think i shall go with our guest first so yeah we'll i just talk about angel captain marvel or captain should i say marvel <laughs> yeah i saw that last night and it was the first subtitled screening of Captain Marvel that I found with a time and a day that suited me and like I usually go to the cinema with my mum and my sister Mm -hmm. so trying to organise a time that suits all three of us with preferably subtitles it's it's a bit difficult. This is why I go to the cinema on my own. (laughs) Yeah no I've I've done that as well because it's it's much easier to organise a time when you're available yeah. as it is to organise a time when two other people are also available. But it's it's kind of difficult afterwards where it's like, oh my god, that film was amazing, and you're kind of talking to yourself in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, talking about it with my cat, it's... It, the responses are incredibly limited. Although, I, I have... <laughs> I have a film review blog, so I am kind of talking to myself, but in a much more public manner. <laughs> so basically, but my you... reviews are just me talking to myself, and yeah. sometimes people read it. Or, so... or they just send you a message going, right, so this thing that you mentioned, can we talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> and then several rants later. <laughs> so um, what did you think of Captain Matt Marvel then? I actually enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't left disappointed or underwhelmed because mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of getting used to going into a film sort of I'm, I'm noticing that I've got these certain prejudice of what the storyline's going to be mm-hmm. and there's certain things where it's just like okay well I can see this romance happening and they're totally going to try and hook up and it's I'm, I'm expecting something incredibly heteronormative I've I'm been going there. I'm going straight in it's... I've I've been like that with the last two Star Wars films in mm. that um, I've kind of been hoping that Poe and um, Finn yes <laughs> like I'm, there's that scene during there's, there's overwhelming the, the first... sexual tension between the my two my god of them. like they, they literally had cherry blossoms when they first met didn't they or is that just something my brain has like they first met when Finn was breaking like, him out didn't they you no know, um, when they were reunited for the first time 
and, oh, and yeah. um, Poe's just like, no, the jacket looks good. Yeah, and he yeah. does he does that hand tap on the arm, which yeah. usually means I am I'm flirting you, with you. Yeah. Like that's that's kind of what I've been trained to be like if you want to fight with someone. You kind of go, Oh, that looks great on you and mm. you kind of do that sort of squeezing the arm thing and I'm just like, Wait, wait, hang on. I've I've seen this thing before. This is like a cue of I'm flirting with you. There's cherry blossoms in the background, which usually when watching romance, especially K dramas, mm-hmm. there's usually like some form of cherry blossoms or flower blossoms just like in the background. The music was quite soft and sweet, and I'm like, this screams romance. So, oh in, my god, they're in, gay. In, <laughs> in short, me and Angel both shit pin. My god, yes. Is that what it's called? I don't though? know. I just made it I, I've seen different. <laughs> versions of the ship name and I'm just like I don't care what the ship is called I'm sailing with it <laughs> like it's sailing I'm there because I was kind of disappointed when um, Finn shared that kiss with Rose at the end of the world I was Jedi. asleep during that although to, to be fair it, to be fair it didn't look like something he was particularly reciprocating on further what watches I mean when you've got Poe Dameron waiting for you at home <laughs> no, he is a very handsome man but, but Rosie I love her I from, liked it. From I liked the Rose. conscious moments, because um, I also have CFSME, um, so that's chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's the CFS part. The ME is something like myalgic encephalitis. Yeah. Please don't quote me on that because it's it's too big and probably Latin based, and it's got more than three syllables. Um, so I was having a very down day when we went to the cinema to watch it. And there was subtitles. I remember that much because I remember like reading the name and being like, "That's not what I'm hearing at all." <laughs> and I, I, I vaguely remember um, the face timing between, or force timing between. Um, what's the kid called? The kid. I should know this. Yeah, the emo kid. The emo kid. The villain. Oh, uh, Kylo Ren. That's the one. Yeah. Kylo Ren and I'm forgetting her name now. Is it Ray? Ray, yeah. Right. So they were like forced timing each other and he's like half naked and I'm just like essentially. And he's like half naked. I'm just like, why why is he shirtless? This is incredibly gratuitous. Oh my goodness. And we have something for the female gaze? (gasps) This is an interesting reversal. And then the next thing I know, explosions are happening and Rosie is kissing Finn. Yeah. I'm just like did I fall asleep? Oh my! You must have done. I'm, I, I did. I did fall asleep. I am. <laughs> I'm among what seems a very vocal minority on the internet who actually really, really likes the Last Jedi. It, mm. it's, and it's, it's amazing how this talk about Captain Marvel has suddenly become sidetracked to Star Wars out of nowhere. Which um, because <laughs> um, I will actually be the next podcast after Angel mm. is a discussion on Star Wars. Uh, so tune in next month for that but uh, yeah other thoughts about Captain Marvel just staring you back in the yeah staring back into that I found it quite refreshing how like there was no spoiler alert there was no like actual romance involved at all for Carol unless you read into the theory that she was in a relationship with her best friend the, the, the black woman whose name escapes me Monica Monica yeah that's floated around I mean, the internet. It's not something I saw personally. I didn't pick up on that because I'm the kind of person where she's like, can this be gay? 
can I ship this? And I was just like, oh my god, they, they're actually showing best friends. Like, that's mm. a type of love that I don't feel is represented enough in films. Mm-hmm. It's more romantic love or sexual love. And I was just like, okay. I felt like they could have worked more on that. Mm-hmm. There wasn't enough of that, you know, best friendship. And yeah. I think that was lacking. But I, liked... I do wish that we'd seen more of Monica and Carol. Yeah. And um, what's the daughter? Is it Monique? I can't the, remember her the daughter. The daughter I've read is a superhero. Really? So hopefully she's going to get her own spin-off. Mm. But I've I've not really read anything in regards about like Captain Marvel. I was more X-Men. I saw um I saw Captain Marvel a few weeks ago. Mm. Um I I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was anything special in the mm. grand scheme of Marvel films. I there's certain Marvel films that I find are more adverts for the next Marvel film. Yes. And Captain Marvel was definitely this, in that category. This was more a prologue for yeah. Endgame. It was a way it was of filling an in a gap. Story. It was a way yeah. of filling in a narrative gap they needed to fill before mm. Endgame next month. But they didn't do bad. <laughs> it wasn't a bad film, not by any stretch of the it imagination. Wasn't the greatest. Yeah. But it's not likely to trouble the top end of Marvel films. Mm. But there were good points about it. I really enjoyed Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, there's like room the, for the improvement, 90s, but I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed like the 90s snark. There were certain yeah. parts that kind of reminded me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and which I, and I, I grew up on. I, I was also very impressed with the de-aging on um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I um, mean, they probably put makeup on him to make him look older, to be honest. Like, it was all he C- hasn't C- aged C- since C- Pulp Fiction at all. It was think. all like... But he's... CG that they, they did on his face. I refuse to believe that. No, it looks like he's no, just stepped it's... off the Pulp Fiction set. He... Yes. And, and and that was great. And they also de-aged Agent Coulson, who was yeah. Greg, Greg, Greg someone or other, I can't remember his name. name. But they de-aged him, not that he really needed it, he just looked mm. the same. But uh, the de-aging was fantastic. The mm. Brie Larson was very good. Is yeah. it an enjoyable film not likely to be in the top five of anybody's Marvel list? Probably not. I feel like it's going to be one of those films that will get talked about, but it'll be easily forgotten. I think it'll get talked about but... more in terms of it being the first female-led superhero film in the MCU as opposed to its merits yeah. as a film. But why should that even be a thing? It's... And that, like With it being like, oh, it's the first female-led, and it's like, well... Some people I've noticed are making a huge issue out of it. Yeah, they. I've noticed some people have said that it's highly politically charged and mm. it's somehow it anti-men. Mm. And I'm like, where did they? I think pick the, the, can we deconstruct this I think, argument? I, I think the anti-men thing comes from certain comments made by Brie Larson before the launch of the film, to mm. the effect that she made the film for female comic book fans as opposed to men which is a fair point because mm. um there there are lots and lots of corners of culture that are aimed at men especially yeah. straight white men um 
So to see something different is nice, but at the same time, it shouldn't be made a big deal just because she is a woman. Yeah. And the film, to its credit, doesn't make a big deal of her being a woman. She's no. just portrayed as a superhero. She's just, yeah, exactly. She's a superhero. She's just yet another character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And there isn't, there wasn't any sort of sass of like, oh my God, but it's a woman. It was just like, okay, this alien just like crash landed in Blockbuster and walked away. I've seen it, <laughs> I've seen it described as a feminist fable, which I, I don't really understand that either. Because it, there wasn't much feminism about it besides her being a woman, obviously. That was about it. Yeah. And that's nothing new, really. I mean, I grew up on things like seeing a warrior princess. Yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Powerpuff Girls. Yes. Yes. So having female-led films and media, it's nothing new. No. But it's people are just like, some... oh, it's all politically correct now. Yeah. And, oh, it's all for inclusivity. And, like, one, why is inclusivity such Bad an thing. awful thing? Mm-hmm. Two... This isn't new, just because things have sort of quieted down on that front, Mm -hmm. and people are just like, well, actually, we need to do better. Mm -hmm. Can we do better? We should do better. Why is that such an awful thing? I think a lot of it. it A lot of it comes from pre-existing franchises that Mm. become female-led. I remember there being a big storm about. When before the Force Awakens was released, mm. about the two leads being a woman and a black man, because um, yeah. the old Hollywood saying goes that you don't you don't make money with minorities, and then the Force Awakens comes along and makes two billion dollars and blows that argument out of the water. Yeah, but that that statement you don't make money out of minorities kind of completely and utterly baffles me because cinema was built on the backs of American immigrants. Yeah. So how that got... Plus, if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, surely appealing to as many minorities as possible is going to make you more money. Because the the more minorities you appeal to, the more minorities are going to want to watch whatever you're doing. Mm. And then there's the thing of, it's realistic as well. Like, how many of us, like, every time I go to London... Mm. It's like there's. It's not just predominantly white people. There's people from absolutely everywhere. And and, and the thing is as well, it's not as if it's impossible for a man to identify with a female character or a female to identify with a male character. The the, the, the human struggle is almost always universal. Yeah. So there's certain struggles that a woman go through that a man can definitely relate to, and mm -hmm. and vice versa. But alternatively there are certain things that only women can relate to and only men can relate to it's it's definitely text and you know context and mm-hmm. yeah. sort of the message that's being sent so well. now we've thoroughly deconstructed Captain Marvel yes. onto your old film that you picked for today yeah what have Philadelphia. You got for us? Philadelphia yeah yeah, that's um, about Andy. It's based on a true story. Andy was Tom um, Hanks in the lead role. Yeah, it was always good. Tom Hanks, love Tom Hanks. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. He's How one of those people that's impossible to hate. Oh, um, yeah, he plays a um, gay lawyer mm-hmm. who has HIV, and he gets discriminated and fired because he has HIV. Mm-hmm. 
and Denzel Washington is the hire he sort of employs who initially is a bit homophobic Mm -hmm. but they you know talk to each other they relate to each other Mm -hmm. and yeah they they basically fight against the company that Andy got fired from yeah and it's I've never actually seen Philadelphia it should be one that I want to watch because obviously I love Tom Hanks and Mm. Especially in his more dramatic roles, for Forrest Gump is one of my favourite films, mm. which he was, and obviously he was the star of that. And the the plot, as I understand it, it can't be anything other than a sad ending because obviously HIV in those days only had one ending. It's it. it's not entirely a sad ending because he does win the case against yeah. his, his old company. And like with Denzel Washington's character, whose name I still can't remember, what's his character name? His yeah, his character was quite homophobic, but because he's you know he's actually talking to Andy and actively listening to Andy and his struggles, what he goes through, how he feels and thinks about his sexuality and you know his HIV status, mm-hmm. he's like, well, you are just another human being. You had a great job. You you're just trying to survive like the rest of us but you've got your struggles I've got my struggles and he sort of was able to see from Andy's point of view which I think still it's still relevant to this yeah. day <laughs> and it's it's kind of a bit disheartening in a sense that a film from the 90s mm-hmm. still carries a very valid message yeah it's a film that's almost 30 years old now and you know we still kind of see Mm. these problems Mm -hmm. the we we seem to have like a a model of hollywood that only ever cast the gay character as a kind of side character you know best Mm. friend gay best friend something along those lines and sometimes as the villain or yeah the diseased person that you don't want to be in contact with because you're going to end up sick as well. Yeah, I, I remember watching Dallas Buyers Club when that was out. Really, I really liked the film. I mm. like, especially like Jared Leto's character, which, <laughs> judging by Angel's look on a look on their face, yeah, I'm, I'm really guessed they didn't. But um, I thought I, it was I very have, well acted. I have issues with Jared Leto and his. Um, shenanigans shall we say and I do have issues with you know cis men portraying trans women mm-hmm. it's it's there's so many actors out there that could have portrayed that and it could have been a more authentic portrayal mm-hmm. but we keep getting the message that no we're going with cis people to play the opposite gender to what they are because it's acting and, and we were discussing this yeah. last night and I'm just like okay let's, let's shelve this for tomorrow and again it's, um, it's to a degree yeah it's it's pretending but then it's it's harmful the, the message that they're sending out to a lot of us is you will only ever be seen as the gender you were assigned at birth mm-hmm. and nothing else you are only pretending like these actors are pretending and a lot of hatred and bigotry does stem from these representations. And it's just 
if we're constantly seeing a man in a dress that's constantly what trans women are going to be seen as Mm -hmm. as a man in a dress pretending to be something that ultimately society dictates they're not but um, we're going to make a distinction between the kind of transgender and drag characters how how mm. do you, how do you, you see the distinction there with with drag it's an art form uh-huh. it's a caricature and it's representing it's it, it's from what i understand it originated from mocking the the way that women were represented in media mm-hmm. because it was like the stepwood wives things which like you know yeah. the big diva hair and the outrageous like um like makeup mm-hmm. it was looking at the media going this is how ridiculous the media is portraying women mm-hmm. we're going to make fun of that representation mm-hmm. because it's a misrepresentation and they just wanted to sort of mock that it was from my understanding it was something that the um sort of black and latina um company the community sort of not exactly founded but they built that yeah. basically and now I'm, everyone's just I thought yeah. certain aspects of drag mm. came out of vaudeville mm. um, in the mm. 1800s especially mm. Um, mm. and even before that um, Shakespeare Yeah, a lot of Shakespeare players up to a certain point had women characters exclusively played by men it was a men only cast up to a certain yeah. point in history but there's the context of the history of why weren't women allowed to portray yeah. women. Yeah, that that's a kind of historical thing, yeah. isn't it? I think there's there's some historical patriarchy in there. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get all feminist. Yeah. yeah. Well, we shall save those arguments for later yeah, on in the conversation. There, there's, there's so many. It's it's yeah. a lot. It's a huge tapestry to unpick one stitch at a time. And yeah deconstruct each and every stitch there's there's a lot a lot <laughs> yeah so um my films that i've decided to talk about and uh, my new one is the, the second film from jordan peele us which came out last week mm-hmm. i saw it on the day it opened i was very excited about it because i enjoyed get yeah. out um and kind of ties into our inclusivity chat in the way that it's led by African American characters. Yeah, Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. Um, Apologies for Winston Duke, who mm. who is Mbaku in um, Black Panther and Infinity yes. War. He's the the leading man, so to speak. And the some child actors whose names I did write on my review and who've for, oh, I've forgotten now, but they were very good as mm-hmm. child actors go child actors are a two way street they can either be very very distractingly bad mm. or surprisingly good mm. and and there's next to no middle ground in that yeah it's, it's just it's either one or the other yeah and there doesn't the, seem to be a middle ground sometimes and Jordan Peele has uh, in Get Out was very much a societal commentary mm. through the medium of a horror film and Us is very much in the same mould. I, I would say that I actually enjoyed Us more than I enjoyed Get Out. Mm. Um, there's no trace of second film syndrome here. He's mm. he's carried on the strands from Get Out and expanded on them in Us. Um, a lot of the social commentary kind of went over my head because a lot of it was to do with 
American life and American society and how they see themselves, which mm. as a British person just kind of went straight over my head. Yeah. Um, but even leaving that aside, without that, it was still a very enjoyable film. Um, I don't really find films scary, so I, I didn't find it scary. It was very tense. It was tense. It had a great a- atmosphere, and I would definitely re- recommend it. The, the atmosphere is kind of there from the first shot to the end of the film. It's just kind of this big wet blanket of atmosphere settling over the whole thing, which yeah. makes it at times very uneasy and uncom- uncomfortable to watch. But it never descends into the cheap horror jump scares either. It it has a build up of what what I see as kind of the best horror thing is um like there's something behind you but you can't see what it is and 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 it's played up to behind you and you never actually see what's behind you because what you can't see is scarier. And so it's it's relying on the viewer's imagination. In some respects, yeah, you do actually see what's behind them but it's in the build up of the tension. Right. Like, so you're left being that that tension sort of builds up into the anxiety of oh my god what is it what actually is it yeah um, and um and and to the explanation of what these doppelgangers are as well um and get out was on a much slower boil than us is um yeah. us keeps up a very nice pace it establishes what it's about quite early on mm. and the tension just ramps up from there yeah. up to a final twist which came just too close to being one twist too far but made just enough sense to add to the film, which I really enjoyed. It was a very, yeah. very good conclusion. So I would very highly recommend Us to anybody mm. who's a fan of horrors, thrillers, tension. Because yeah. I, I used to absolutely adore horrors. That mm. was like a, a staple during my teen years. Mm-hmm. And it got too much into the jump scare yeah, yeah. thing. So now I'm just like, I can't be doing with jump scares. I just... Uh, not worth it I think um, so knowing that there isn't that many jump scares in that I'm like okay I can watch this <laughs> one of the lines in my review is um, a jump scare is to horror what a cheeseburger is to hot cuisine my god um, yes um, yes that's uh, that's <laughs> pro- probably the best um, best description I can come up with it. it's cheap and if, it's, it's... If, if you're really good at horror you should need jump scares if if you're really good at creating tension, I, I find it to be a bit of a juvenile prank. Yeah, it's it's I'm... not entirely necessary, and I personally feel it doesn't really do much to the storyline. I make it's, a distinction. It's a cheap trick. <laughs> I make a distinction between being startled and being yes. scared. Yes, a, a, a jump scare startles you. It doesn't. It doesn't frighten you in the way of saying you're knowing there's something behind you, but you can't look because if you do look, then it'll kill yeah. you, and you don't look, and you, you mm. build this tension that there's someone behind you that you can't look at. Yeah, you know? which is one of the reasons why I really love Hitchcock. Yeah, because he he knew how to build that tension. He and, used and Kubrick as well. Yeah, they they used visual cues and music. Yeah, like especially with Hitchcock, the music yeah. really enhanced the emotion of the characters and the scenario and you sort of feel it mm-hmm. you get more involved although with us I have read um, a bit of backlash with um, Lupita's um, character she sort of got uh, a few specialists involved something to do with her her voice there's a certain disability where the voice it sort of wavers and I didn't have it down as a disability um, I had it down as 
it being her trying to make the second half of this character otherworldly and sound mm. kind of demonish. You know, it, mm. was, it was a very kind of growly voice with yeah. breaks in between it. From from what I've read, um, Lupita's mentioned that she worked with certain specialists. Wouldn't and, surprise me at all. And no. she based it on this disability, and people with the disability were like, oh, right, we don't need more stigma. Mm-hmm. So th- I'm quite intrigued as to whether one who's actually saying you know why are you trying to mock this disability is it really mocking and is it the disabled people or the people with that disability saying can you not like try to represent us again it didn't come across to me as a disability it just came Mm. across as her character being from another world and this Mm. The voice added to its otherworldliness. So it was more inspired by. Yeah. Because mm. so, I think that's as as a disabled person. I mean, we've both got all the, you know, um, as I said earlier, it's like um, we both have a bit of a, a bingo list of yeah. you know what else can we add to to our list of disabilities? And I think with the inclusion in the media, when people are just like, oh, I'm going to be inspired by this thing, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a bit offensive sometimes it's a bit insulting sometimes it's just annoying mm-hmm. so i'm wondering with lupita's character what angle is that coming from is it yeah. just inspired by and i didn't even know that there was a, a disability like that so you um... didn't do your research <laughs> no. no i i i try to um, expose myself to very little information about the film until I see it because whatever I, f- I find out could make an impression on my opinion Yeah. so I usually try to, to do research after I've seen the film Yeah. and if it's based on a book I'll watch the film first and then read the book Yeah. because the amount of times where it's just like oh my god this absolute favourite f- book of mine has been turned into a film let's go watch it mm. and it's just like that's not the character they don't even look like that. They don't sound like that. They never would have like made this choice, or and it gets a bit frustrating. There's that disconnect between artistic license and have you even looked at what you're referencing? Yeah. There's a... speaking of films about books. There, Pet mm. Cemetery's out next week, which I'm, I'm also looking forward, forward to. That. Yes, looking yeah. forward to that. Is that an animated film? Because no, again, no, I'm trying no. not to paid too much attention i'm just like right, no, I know it's, this it's not an animated film it look it looks like it's been highly inspired by the success of it the other year but we've also got we've got pet cemetery and we've got it chapter two out this year as well so, oh, it's, no. so it it's a good year for stephen king fans this year i i know i said that i you know during my teen years i i loved horror films but it's i saw it when i was a child mm-hmm. and that's one of the main reasons why i am terrified of clowns if um which is a bit heartbreaking because i absolutely love tim curry the um i can't watch that the (laughs) original it is like a cartoon compared to the new it it's um i I really don't like the original it and i find it far too light-hearted for the source source material Mm. Uh, i didn't even really like the casting of tim curry in it if i'm honest (laughs) i think he could have been used better oh so, no, that's so again like acting choices and yeah, yeah. choices of which actors to use. Because as you say, you love Tim Curry, and a lot of people love yeah. Tim Curry. So it's very difficult to be frightened of Tim Curry. 
Because mm, most people are just like, but Frankenfurter. Yeah, exactly. Whereas they brought in uh, Bill Skarsgård. And yeah. since he hasn't had enough of an acting career to have built up that love and respect, it's easier to be frightened of him. Because you you've you don't have that background of, oh, but he was this character, which yeah. was like really funny and cute or like completely otherworldly <laughs> and yeah I think sometimes it is good to, to cast completely new sort of talent yeah. in these things um, and moving on to my old film uh, I've chosen Pride the 2012 film yes. about the the uh, ostensibly about um, an LGBT group helping out a minor strike in Wales mm. Excuse me. It was a, a BBC Films production in 2012. Had um, um, who was that? Judy Dench? Not Judy Dench. Judy. Julie Walters. Julie Walters was in it, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was probably the biggest name in the film. And as I say, Bill Nye. Bill Nye. I forgot Bill Nye was in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Mind you, Bill Nye was in everything at that time, wasn't he? <laughs> he's one of those I mean, actors he's... that's been in everything. Yeah. But, but ostensibly, it's about a LGBT group from London who uh, are campaigning for their own cause and decide to join the the, the plight of the miners in South mm. Wales. Um, originally, they're kind of held back with some hostility from the miners, but a certain few of them take them to their heart and kind of take on their message until their two communities become one. And um, there's, a, there's a very nice moment of... Um, Mm. of solidarity at the very end of the yeah. film which is it's a very uplifting film in that it doesn't portray the, the gay community as a kind of sideshow it's not a sideshow to the plot mm. it's a central aspect to characters yeah. and, and they're not stereotypical flamboyant homosexuals with we have big mm. like porno mustaches and pink shirts and yeah you know. there wasn't any sort of hint of oh yes I'm part of the leather bar scene yeah and yeah it was just real people just trying to live basically yeah <laughs> from the miners point of view and the lgbt groups point of view and um last i checked um pride is on netflix if anybody wants to yeah. watch it uh, that's where i last watched it last year i think i think it's on amazon prime on amazon prime as well, prime as well. So. Yeah. yeah i think it's one of those historic stories you know based on true stories mm. that unfortunately is still relevant today and seeing, seeing as it's a BBC so, yeah. films production I would imagine it's on pretty regular on BBC or on the iPlayer as well I don't do live TV I'm no. streaming only yeah, yeah I'm the, the, <laughs> the only time I ever sit down to watch TV is for Doctor Who whenever that's on whereas I have a strict budget and I can't afford £150 to watch adverts yeah <laughs> So it's just like Netflix, Amazon Prime, It was actually a strange... I found out the other day that um, Americans don't have a TV licence. That's exclusively us. Oh, yeah. And um, there was an American student in one of my lectures who was baffled as to what a TV licence actually was. And um, and it is baffling that we have to have a licence to watch television. We don't actually... Just for the BBC. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it's, it's to help fund the BBC and with their programming and some of the funding does go to other networks there's Channel 4 because they've done things like documentaries Mm -hmm. some of the funding 
I say funding, um, some of the money does go towards them, but ultimately it is for the BBC. Mm-hmm. It's because and the BBC is a public broadcasting company. Yes, but it's legally enforced to a degree, and I don't feel we should have to pay hmm. the licensing fee just for one company. If they want funding... Hmm. I mean, they've already got merchandising mm-hmm. and, you know, they've got their websites, they've got their shops. They can market themselves and gain money without needing adverts or... And the, the other thing do is... It like where, like, in Italy and, and Holland, because um, <laughs> I grew up in Holland, the adverts usually... The Netherlands, Angel. Yeah, the Netherlands, sorry. <laughs> I'm just used to saying <laughs> I, I, I can't believe like, that I just had to correct the I actual know. Dutch person about that. That's... Usually it's the other way around. But I'm... <laughs> It's what Mind you, were you actually in Holland? Because oh, Holland is a region within the Netherlands. It is, it? it is. There's like um, North Holland and South Holland. So Amsterdam is. Oh, my geography. I do believe Amsterdam is South Holland. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it is for Sorry, a I'm, I'm like flashbacks of yeah. like primary school geography. Um, but yeah, um, growing up there, the adverts that we had, it was either side of the programme. So you'd have mm-hmm. adverts before the programmes and adverts at the end of the programme. Mm-hmm. You could just watch the whole film in its original language with subtitles. Mm-hmm. Dutch subtitles. So I'm, I'm used to subtitles. And that's just how it was. Where over here, it's like every five minutes there's an advert the, for three minutes. The, the other thing... Um... <laughs> Um, about the BBC is because mm. they're publicly funded they can't be seen to be paying too much for their programmes which is why mm. they lost the British Bake Off a, f- a few years ago because, yeah, it was because because they're publicly funded they couldn't bid as much as Channel 4 for the rights of the Great British Bake Off so why? because Channel 4 mm. put in a bigger bid to the production company of Great British Bake Off that they won it in the end and the, the BBC couldn't offer it anymore bec- yeah. because they're publicly funded no, that makes so much more sense now. Because I was just like, why? Why did it change channels? <laughs> but it, but it seemed like the extra money they had was put into the budgets of the last series of Doctor Who, which I'm all for. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But it also means that I can actually watch British Bake Off on demand. Yeah. On Channel Four now. <laughs> I never really got into Bake Off, but my other half is very much into it. But no, I haven't watched any of the recent series of that. But one thing I do like about the BBC, though, as much as I I am quite irritated with the idea of being forced to pay to watch, you know, their 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 programming live. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was a subscription, mm-hmm. that's where I'm just like, I'll watch that. Or even one if it was things... optional, you know. Yeah. It seems kind of ridiculous that you'd have to go to prison for not paying your TV license. Yeah, I mean, you could go <laughs> to prison for watching. Um, because I, I like a lot of Korean shows. There's certain mm. things. If I want to watch a Korean award show live mm-hmm. on YouTube, mm-hmm. I have to pay TV license for that. Mm-hmm. None of the money is going towards that um, Korean broadcasting channel. Oh. It's going to the BBC. Mm-hmm. It also I, means I that you can't watch Euro, Eurovision, which is a big loss. Because no. Eurovision's great. No, I have to go to my sisters for that or oh, a well. friend. Which is how I I watched Doctor Who. I was originally watching that at my sister's and then my sister got a boyfriend. Good for her, though. (laughs) But that meant that she was spending time with him instead of me and my ego's just a little too fragile for that. And I'm just like... How dare she? I know, right? It's like, (laughs) how dare you be happy and like not pay me attention, sister? (laughs) Angel is very much like a cat. She constantly needs her attention. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I just ended up watching it at my mum's instead. So it's like, okay, bonding time for me and my mum then. So no, um, with with the BBC, they are quite inclusive. They're pretty up to date with the subtitles, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for. Whereas other certain streaming sites, looking at you, Amazon Prime, I am naming and shaming. <laughs> They don't keep up to date with subtitles, yeah. And it's just like, why am I paying so much money to basically be excluded from watching something? Netflix are pretty good with subtitles. Netflix as well. are on it. Everything that's everything that I've watched so far has had subtitles. The thing that I'm a little bit eh about is some of the the things aren't in its original language, mm-hmm. and personally, they could do with more language options with subtitles. Yeah. But that's just a little niggle. Yeah. But with with other things, it's like with Disney Life as well. I was subscribed to that for a point and trying to find subtitled films mm-hmm. and TV shows. It was a struggle. I was subscribed to Disney Life, but I'm going to wait till Disney Plus comes 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 along later this yeah. year, I think, and see, see how that is for a while. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to expertly guide our conversation mm. onto the meat and potatoes of, of this week's topic um, inclusivity so yes. a few months ago during a discussion with um, my first guest Jonathan we were running down the Oscar nominations for well most categories and we got to the best picture and um, I'd, I'd said on Twitter before this that I was highly sceptical of the fact Black Panther was nominated for a best picture I didn't think it was a worthy film of Best Picture. I really enjoyed Black Panther, don't get me wrong. I, I loved Black Panther. I just didn't mm. think it was a Best Picture film. Mm. No, in fact, there has only ever been two comic book films I've ever seen that I think have been worthy of a Best Picture not nomination. Yeah. They're The Dark Knight and Logan. They're the, they're, they're the only two mm. I've seen that I would call that. No MCU film has ever come close to that quality for me. Um, and I'd said it kind of felt is if it was there to fill a quota that the Academy needed to nominate X amount of films starring black mm. people, African Americans rather, to to kind of get past controversy. And mm. that to me is completely wrong. You you shouldn't shouldn't be inclusive to fill a quota. You should be nominating a film because it deserves to be nominated, not mm. because this film has a black as an African American person, so therefore we need to nominate it. It kind of becomes a bit gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah. But then on the flip side, we're not having many films starring like different minorities or different communities. So when there is one that comes along, it's like... Uh, it's, it's just grabby hands it's, for it. It seems like a bigger deal, doesn't it? Yeah, it is a bigger deal when it shouldn't have to be. There should be more of them. Like growing up, things were like the things that I remember watching were things like Moesha, Tien Tamara, Fresh mm. Prince of Bel Air. I mean, there were like female led and black female led mm-hmm. or African American female led TV shows and films, mm-hmm. and that's just sort of quietened down at some point. See, it wasn't even the only mm. African American film nominated for Best Picture. There was also yeah. Black Klansman, which I really enjoyed yeah. and did think should have been nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Um, because it had the merits of a best picture. Yeah. And obviously that was not only 
starring an African-American. It was directed by an African-American about the life of an actual African-American in the way that Black Panther was also directed by an African-American man. Um, But Black Klansman just had more merits as a film to be a best picture in my Mm. book. And that is what I think the bottom line should be. It should be nominated and win best pictures because it is a best picture. On its own merits, yeah. Yeah. But I... I wasn't necessarily happy that Green Book won it either, even though that was about an African American. There's, there's still some controversy around yeah, Green Book. There's something around it being a white, a white saviour plot. Yeah. But that, that for me wasn't even the sticking point. It was um, this for a film that was making a serious point about racism. It seemed to be sticking a lot on Af- Italian American stereotypes. Like there's, mm. there's a scene where, um. A lot of the scenes surrounding Tony Vallelonga, who is the the, the lead Italian-American fella, yeah. a lot of it surrounds him eating Italian food. He's, he's either eating pasta or is, there's one particular scene that sticks in my mind where he, he gets a pizza, he folds it in half and eats it as if it's a sandwich. Calzone? It wasn't a calzone, though. It was, it, you That's just a calzone. You just got a pizza and folded it in half. That's a calzone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm death glaring. I'm just like, That's a, I'm doing the Italian. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying so it's like no, oh. that's that's um, no. There's different parts of Italy. I think it's more Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Does it say what part of Italy is actually from? No, because no. I think it's more of a southern but Italian the... thing where you just get the pizza, fold it in half, and just eat it. But the, the, there's it's... also a lot of other stereotypes. Like he's got a mm. he's got like a big family, and they all live in the same house, and you know, it's... that that's part of Italian culture. I mean, and... with with Manona. Um, it, it was basically until my nonna died a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It was nonna, my dad, his wife, his daughter, my like half sister, mm-hmm. and my older sister all living in the house. Mm-hmm. My uncle had the house in the front on mm-hmm. like their small holdings. Mm-hmm. The the big family. It is a stereotype, but that is a stereotype that is rooted in Italian culture. Then- we are very tighten it and, and they also it's kind of we'll leave the house when we get married and it's usually the girl that will leave the house and the, the, <laughs> they also spoke in that really heavily italian stereotyped way that i will be like yeah that's an issue and then um, <laughs> even though vigo mortensen was very good in the film he's also italian. he's scandinavian <laughs> so you know he's <laughs> just like we have italian actors there's can... a lot of italian actors in hollywood yeah no, so why even, give it look to... at the godfather the godfather was like almost exclusively italian about yeah, italian americans and... and casted with italian people yeah i mean i'm not particularly sure about some of them i'm not sure the marlon brando's an italian american but no he, he, he might not not be but i, I know that de niro is and pacino mm. and um Henry Car- yeah. um, James Kahn and things like that, but um, yeah, yeah, they kind that, of helped root certain yeah, sort of Italian seemed, stereotypes. Whereas you're messing with my family, yeah, the, the, doing the, the, hand the Italian hand. The Italian it's like hand. We, we do do that yeah. a lot, and I'm becoming more aware of it. Which is like, oh my goodness, the Italian side's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so that film was probably, even though the the portrayal of. Um, Don mm. Shirley, who was the African American character, was very good. And Mahashala Ali is actually one of my yeah. favourite actors in Hollywood at the moment. He's he's so good at whatever he does. Mm. And um, there's a particular scene. My favourite scene in Green Book is just Mahashala Ali just acting his acting his ass yeah. off. He's, basically, it's the scene in the trailer where he stood in the rain 
and he's saying like if I ain't white enough and I ain't black enough then what am, am I and it's yeah, it's so that's... powerful he's like stood in the rain and all the imagery around him and and yeah, yeah. the the other thing was it was directed by Peter Farrelly who did um, there's something about Mary and me myself and Irene and all that kind of stuff really yeah so, and, and it seemed I... yeah, yeah something about Mary yeah. I would not have expected that yeah seen it neither would I but he, he didn't seem to be fully letting go of the comedy side of his right he, he seemed to even though the actual film was partly written by Tony Vallelonga's son as well mm. who was, was portrayed in the film as well so certain amount of it will come is authentic and yeah. comes from his son from authentic experience but it's still sort of coming from a white person's point of view yeah mm. in in a way that the the family of Don Shirley um, mm. kind of spoke out against that Tony, they didn't consider Tony Valonga to be a friend of, of their relative they just mm. kind of saw it as he was an yeah. employee of Don Shirley and that this film kind of portraying the the friendship between them mm. kind of seemed gratuitous to them. Obviously, we don't know for sure because both yeah. Don Shirley and Tony Vallelonga are now dead. Yeah, so it could be like the family's like sort of skewed point of view, perhaps, yeah. or maybe they're absolutely spot on. And maybe, yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> it's yeah, it's one of those things of you need both points of views and both sides to get like full context. Yeah. Mm. The um, we, of course we touched on um, Pride and on Philadelphia earlier, mm. both of which have um, people who identify as straight in um, LGBT roles. Yeah, um, which is a sticky point we were talking about last night. Yeah, that um, you because my can I kind of understand the need for more opportunities for LGBT mm. actors. If there is an LGBT part, if there's a gay part, and there's a gay actor that suits that part, mm. then it should absolutely go to them over the straight yeah. person who would also be good for that part. Yeah. But at the same time, being an actor is by definition mm. pretending to be something you're not. Yeah. So. But do this... we currently live in a world where we can just do that completely? Or do we kind of need to be like, right, this is pretending to be something we're not, but we need somebody with that experience from that area to be able to pretend as authentically as possible. I mean, we can't really... I mean, blackface, thank God, is a complete and utter no-go. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, watching things like westerns from the 40s where people were red-painted. Yeah. And or... it's, it's not the same... Just uh, a thing that is, it's not the same. It's similar. It's along the same line. It's kind of like a parallel. Mm -hmm. Like neither of them, they 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 both do harm in different ways. Because arguably, then, a, a straight man mm, playing a gay man, for example, mm, there's no kind of outward difference. Yeah. Just that their character they're playing is attracted to somebody different. Yeah, there's, there's... there's still the same. Uh, there's also sort of like there. how to explain it like when there's certain stereotypes and caricatures that go with it with a straight man portraying a gay man mm -hmm. there's the thing of oh are they going to be really flamboyant are they going to be incredibly feminine but then there's the issue of there are straight men out there who are flamboyant who are mm -hmm. feminine and that's being seen as oh if you're like this you're gay and mm -hmm. if you're gay you're wrong mm -hmm. So it does do that. 
do harm to cis men as well. Yeah. It's 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 harmful all round to mm. not have that kind of inclusivity and equality. Yeah, it's, it it looks bad on all of us that mm. the the minorities don't get the the opportunities. But there are plenty of actors out there who aren't cis, who aren't straight, who aren't white, who benefit from those roles. Mm-hmm. So why is it that majority of the roles at the moment are going to to people that aren't in that community? They, for from my point of view, especially with the disabled community, mm-hmm. the amount of times where an able-bodied actor is playing a disabled person, yeah, and it's just there are disabled actors out there begging for roles. I saw and they're not um, being included. I saw the upside a few months ago, mm. which featured Brian Cranston as a quadriplegic. Yeah, and um, the, the backlash um, because he worked with is it Walter Mitty? Yeah, uh, no, the RJ Mitts from Breaking Bad. That's the one. Who's, who's Walter Mitty? Wal- yeah, Walter Mitty he... was a film starring Ben, ben Stiller. Yeah, that's. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, he's worked with a disabled actor, so he knows from his point of view mm-hmm. how he struggled trying to get that role in Breaking Bad mm-hmm. and, you know, further roles. And he, he did acknowledge that, which mm-hmm. I think on one side, at least he said, yes, this is an issue. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, why didn't he fight for us? I mean, looking at it from... A filmmaker's perspective, um, especially my mind is set back to when Scarlett Johansson was cast in The Ghost in the Shell, and um, the, the 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 backlash then was, of course, mm. why was a white actress playing this mm. uh, Asian role? And from a certain perspective, you um, you got to look at it as Scarlett Johansson is a big name draw for the box office. But how does she as get is, the big name? As is Brian Brian Cranston. So are they being cast in these roles because their names make more money for this film and that is, in the end of the day, the bottom line for filmmakers? But then with Avengers, going back with Scarlett Johansson, when Chris Hemsworth was first cast as Thor, Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew him from Home and Away. Mm -hmm. People were just like, oh, this is a new name. Who Mm -hmm. is he? Um, Chris Evans wasn't that huge a household name. The only one that had a big name... Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., and he was rebuilding his career yeah, after, after his, a, his, a lot of personal problems. A lot of personal problems. So for the argument of, oh, they're doing it because they want a big name, it's not a strong argument in, from my point of view because we've had amazing films that have created stars. Yeah. The only way you can create stars is by casting them. Like with Millie Bobby Brown, mm-hmm. she's in Stranger Things. She's mm-hmm. completely deaf in one ear. Yeah. So for me, having hearing issues, having an auditory processing issue, growing up deaf, mm-hmm. that's the representation I needed when I was a kid, yeah. when I was her age. That's so weird saying that. <laughs> when I was her age. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, we need more of that representation. There's um, the kid, oh, is it Gator Matarazzo? Um, he he has the the thing where he doesn't have collarbones. He's also in Stranger Things. Oh right, I can't remember his name. I've, I've never seen his, Stranger Things. He's so. the one with the curly hair. Uh, again, I I don't know what I don't know Stranger <sighs> Things. So. But yeah, it's like we've got two 
actors mm-hmm. with disabilities out of what five main characters yeah it's um and it's like we've we've got that representation so something that um, i've said in the past is that everyone should have a chance to see someone mm. like them on television yes there's um and stranger things has provided that for yeah in different the, ways because there's there's a lot of like mm. like disabled say if you're a disabled yeah. young woman um you're not seeing yourself on television and, no. and that's an that's an important thing for development and accepting yeah. your own your own disabilities yeah. accepting yourself is to see that there are other people like you and Mm. And, and be like, I can't actually do that. Yeah, I can have that life of if I want to be an actor, I can be an actor even with my disability, my skin color, lack of skin color. Because how many albino characters have been played by just white people? White people. And it's just they've been just. But and and there's another thing of um, because we go back to Tom Hanks mm. in Philadelphia, mm. um. Tom Hanks is undisputably a very, very good a- actor. Yeah. So, would you rather Tom Hanks, the very, very good actor, mm. play this gay character, or a gay actor who's potentially not as good an actor? That's that's another the, issue. See, there's a flaw in that argument, though, because we do have gay actors that are as good as Tom Hanks was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, we could have actually had a gay actor play Andy yeah and the thing of oh but what if there was a gay character that you know a gay actor that wasn't as good that's not a fair analysis in my opinion because we do have good actors that are of different communities what really is the excuse that Hollywood are using to just not use people from that community I think because with the argument of oh but you know, they want somebody with a big name. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew anybody in Stranger Things. And they're huge. Nobody knew Chris Hemsworth. He's huge. Jason Momoa. Everybody knows about him now. Yeah. And it's just, we can create stars. We do have the talent. We just need to actually employ them. Yeah. What is exactly holding us back from employing the people that we need to see on screen at the moment because we do need to see them right now I, I think it, it's a combination of a lot of things mm. it's as I say it's mm. producers wanting the big name actors in the part it's, it's if that if the actor is right for, for the part yeah. because there, there might there might be a straight mm. actor who is better suited to a gay role than the gay actor might might be mm. like you but then you, why you don't know unless you're in the but casting director's but then that in shoes. itself means that the casting directors are severely lacking Mm-hmm. It's kind of insulting the casting directors I, I, to I, a degree. <laughs> I, I remember a, f- a few mm. few months ago, maybe late last year, um, Darren Chris said he wasn't going to accept any any more gay roles because mm. he's and I I remember him in Glee and I think he played a gay part in Glee yeah. as well. So um, in in my mind, I thought Darren Chris was actually gay. In the end, I was getting him mixed up with Jonathan Groff, so mm. that that was an, another issue completely. Mm. But um, they, am some... I about to find out that Darren Chris is actually straight? He is, yeah, yeah. Get out! Yeah. Oh my god! I, yeah. I, no, I genuinely thought that he was like not straight. No, he he is. Um, yeah, it, it, it surprised me as well because I I always thought thought he was. 
But he did Hedwig. Yeah. But um, and but there's a lot of actors like that. Like uh, yeah. I was really surprised to find that Neil Patrick Harris was gay after seeing him as ba- as Barney yeah. Barney Stinson on on. Um, but then there's that, that thing mother. of, oh, but I couldn't tell he was straight, or yeah. I couldn't tell he was gay because there's that. But how can you tell that representation that we've had of gay men are X, Y, and Z, and then yeah. we've got Barney. And and then what? And another thing that really annoys me personally is what when people say. He doesn't look gay. I was like, well, what, what does, does, a, what does a gay person like? look like? Yeah, it's like, um, that reminded me of a couple of things. Um, when John Barrowman auditioned for Will and Grace, he mm-hmm. was told that he came across as too straight. Right. And they hired a straight guy to, to be a gay man. John Barrowman is like the least straight person. Right. On, like... <laughs> and he played Will too straight. I'm like, how how is that even possible? But even looking to like the you mentioned John Barrowman, so I'm going to yeah. mention Doctor Who again. And um, the, the representation in that was kind of has been groundbreaking since the revival a lot of ways because you had John Barrowman who played Captain Jack, who was mm. kind of rather bi or pansexual because he was just attracted to everyone and everything. Basically. Literally everyone in the yeah. game. That, that was the um, issue. You had um, mm. Martha Jones, who was the first um, the first black companion. Yeah. You had, uh, in later years, you had Bill Potts, who was not only mixed race, but she was also yeah. playing, even though she's a straight actress, she was playing a, a lesbian mm. character. And there was the, the the lesbian love angle between Bill and Heather as well in, in that yeah. series. No, it can be achieved if you want it. Yeah, it's. I think it's just a case of finding the right time. Like, if I'm going to stay on Doctor Who now, because there's another point that's just coming to my head when Jodie Whittaker was cast as the Doctor. People hated people that idea. Went ins- but, she got death threats. And and the other thing is, people can't get past that the Doctor can be a woman, but they can accept that the Doctor can be a time traveling alien from another planet. I mean, I mean, they they're completely and utterly accepting of the TARDIS existing. Yeah, but not the fact that Doctor can be a woman. Even, yeah, even I mean, though it was you've stab- said before in in previous episodes in previous series, mm. like, oh, I was a mother once, he- and I think was that, I think it was Martha that did a double take. No, it wasn't Martha. It was Rose. I'm pretty sure it was Rose the- where she did a double take where it's like, mother, what? The- you have kids? It wasn't you was a mother. It was you have kids. The concept of the concept of a, a time world changing gender has been established since Tom Baker's era. Yeah, the, I, I remember uh, the invasion of time in episode yeah. of Tom Baker's where there's a a time lord who discusses that the regeneration that he's currently in is the first time he's been male. Yeah, and he's usually so it's, a female. It's not a new idea. No, I, at all. I, I think a, a lot of it comes from the preconception of it being an established character so why do they have mm. to change it in a lot of ways that people don't want a black James Bond in a lot of the, because because James Bond is an established character not only from the films but from the books mm. where he's established as being a white man for the last yeah. 55 and nearly 60 years whereas I'm very pro I, Idris Elba Idris Elba oh would be perfect for James Bond I mean like Johnny Johnny Boyega John, not like, as much I'm I don't think John Boyega would I've make a good bond. Have seen him in a suit, though? Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> that, that's my bias. Johnny Boyega in a cer- suit. <laughs> there's certain aspects of John Boyega that I couldn't see mm. as Bond that are evident in Idris Elba. I could absolutely see mm. Idris Elba as James Bond. Like he has that suave, mm-hmm. that sort of sexual yeah. power where I, he can just look I, at you and be like, 
Um, oh, okay. I, I'm, I, I'm not sure of how much mm. the backlash against Jodie Whittaker in particular was um, bogged down in sexism. I just think a lot of it was the fact of people not wanting change in a long-standing character. Mm. And which to me comments... was a bit ridiculous because mm. um, I've read Doctor Who fans since I was about 12 years old mm. and the if I can accept that the Doctor is a time travelling alien from beyond the furthest stars then I can mm. damn well accept the Doctor can be a woman yeah, in fact I, mean, I, I can they're... accept the Doctor as a dog because he's, he's an alien they're an alien, they can be anything then they've established this before yeah, the idea of Doctor Who being a dog though that's where I would agree where it's going a little too <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's a bad point, but you get what I'm, I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, no, I get what you mean, because it's, it's already been established in canon that Time Lords can change what Earth perspective of genders are. Mm. I mean, they, we don't actually... I mean, I mean what are Time Lords idea of gender in the first place and um, time lords don't really have an idea of gender do they i mean it's just physical yeah peter capaldi's oh, yeah. doctor mentioned that they don't have the kind of the concept of gender there's the mm. same way that gender bias that earth yeah. does um and the the doctor's body is just a, a kind of an appearance yeah it's not like the doctor is always the same. Well, it's not the personality mm. changes with each body. Oh yeah. But it's just just an just an appearance. Yeah. yeah. And the the I I like to think that because the doctor is most hanging around with earthlings, that's yeah. why they always take on a humanoid form. Because that's kind of what they're used to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because they haven't really done anything along the lines of Klingons, where it's like they're mostly humanoid, but then a few series later. But we, we, they're, we they're have nothing seen, humanoid. We, we have seen a, a Time Lord become something that isn't humanoid. We've seen um, Jeffrey Beaver's version of the Master, which, which was just basically like a swamp monster. Oh, I forgot about him. That was creepy. That was yeah. that was because because he'd run out of regenerations and he'd come to the end of his regeneration yeah. cycle and he was just like a big swamp monster. Yeah, I remember him being a bit more mummified. A little bit, yeah. But then, yeah memory <laughs> but uh, this is what happens when you have a series of 50 plus years of history to pick through mm. you know you, you can pick and choose and many frequently do pick and choose different parts of history yeah. to suit your narrative and then other things get completely and utterly retconned yeah I mean Stephen Moffat had a very bad habit of just putting something in just because it was the, oh look it's that from that and that was really annoying because yeah, it didn't need to be there reference. Yeah. his previous work and it's like, not only that but it referenced like things from Doctor Who's past that weren't really needed for that time some were a bit irrelevant mm-hmm. I have issues major issues with Stephen Moffat with Doctor Who he was great as a writer but when yeah. he ran it he ran it to the ground Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he quite ran it to the ground I, I think his last I feel very strongly about this <laughs> his, his last series was probably the best series of the revival of Doctor Who so series 10 on with Bill mm. that's probably my favourite series of the show since it came back I would like to respectfully disagree <laughs> I still think like my favourite episode was Blink Blink that, so that's when we first saw the Weeping Angels I, I like, and they got used to death Daleks got used yeah. to death they, had the Weeping Angels been used the once, they would have been one of the best monsters ever. But yes. since they were then watered down later But on. are they really villains, though? 
Well, the theory goes that they're actually time lord, time lords. That, that's why they can zap people back in time. Hmm. And anyway, no, some... because that does link into other things. But yeah. we'll save that for a different conversation. Yeah, we've got, um, we'll we, do we, this we, all day. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we could talk about Doctor Who all day and all night, and I frequently have. But um, we, we need to kind of steer this back onto back the topic. Conclusion. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, one of the things that you don't see a lot of representation on in films is um, transgenderism. And obviously, you mm. yourself being trans, mm. um, you'd, would you wish that this was more of a thing? I wish it was a lot more accurate because the, the, yeah, the representation we have, as I said earlier, it's like transgender women are seen as just a man in a dress. Mm-hmm. Like, transgender men are seen as hyper butch women Mm -hmm. and then we have non-binary folks like myself where we just get mocked and constantly just like oh I'm an Apache helicopter and like the the closest representation that I can think of at the moment is the new Sabrina um, series on Netflix Mm -hmm. where they have a non-binary actor playing one of Sabrina's best friends yeah and their gender isn't outright stated. It's not like, oh, they're picking on her or mm. they're picking on him. It's just like they're picking on my friend. Some of the um, some of the arguments mm. against non-binaryism in general is a bit of a ridiculousness because the a lot mm. of them tend to fall back on science and biology without even really There's trying to think about. There's only two genders. Yeah. Like, well, gender is Gen- is a social thing. It's a social construct I think which what, changes with culture. What's happening sex. there is they're getting sex and gender mixed up. Yeah, sex. There's actually, scientifically speaking, three sexes. There's male, female, and intersex. intersex. And yeah. intersex people have been ridiculed and experimented upon it's absolutely awful their history because they have doctors deciding from birth which gender they they ought to be and they have surgery from a young age that they cannot consent to when they are of age they're like well actually like i don't yeah i'd I'd like to have just be as i am or i want to be this gender or that gender Mm -hmm. it's people with assumed authority force their opinion yeah. on non-consenting children, babies. Yeah. I read a, a story um, on um, I think it was on the BBC News app mm. the other day where um, there the had been an intersex person was born mm. and um, the doctors deci- the doctors or a parent or whoever it was that made the mm. decision decided that this intersex person should be female. Mm. So um, I think it was six years old they started having surgeries that they couldn't consent to because they were too young. And it's an and absolutely traumatic experience yeah, for can, a child to have surgery. Well, I don't even not even that, but it's like assuming that they they're mm. actually going to school. Like mm. um, yeah. a, a lot of primary school kind of kid thing is based around you're a boy and I'm a girl. Yeah. And um, this, if you drop someone who's intersex, same um, children can grasp these ideas a lot quicker than we give them credit for. Yeah. You, like, you explain to a child that, trying to say, for example, their uncle likes men as, mm. as daddy likes women, and and they can grasp that just, yeah. just like that, because because they've not had the years of bias build up that that men marry women, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, it, it's, it's an idea that introduced early enough can 
can be understood a lot easier than in adulthood. No, I'm gonna like share something that I find a bit embarrassing. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up as a child in the Netherlands, there was um, a lesbian couple. I say a lesbian; it was um, two women. Um, they they had a baby, mm-hmm. and I'm just like. For years, I genuinely believed because I was explained sex as oh, when two people love each other, mm-hmm. they hug each other in a very special way. Right. So for years, growing up as a child, because they this lesbian couple had a baby, mm-hmm. you know they they used like a, a donor, mm-hmm. and one of the the wives, you know, the mother actually carried the baby. I grew up believing that women could actually get each other pregnant. Right. Yeah. Because sex wasn't properly explained. Yeah, it, it's not. And it's, it's, it's not if adequately I could grasp explained. That to this two day, women could actually love each other and like be in a happy, healthy relationship and have their own children. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean. In, it's not adequate to this day. Really, I mean, as an adult, I know better now. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's not that far fetched I mean, to actually explain it. Yeah, you're thirty one now, right? Mm. So this was. What, 20 years ago this would have mm. happened now so within 20 years sex education still hasn't budged like it, not, it's not still much, very no. heteronormative yeah and, and it's still being discussed it's still being argued and vilified the, I mean, the, of course there's a big um, thing at the moment going on about mm. the protests in Birmingham I'm not sure if you've seen this mm. there's a a school in Birmingham wanted to introduce LGBT teaching into and a people primary absolutely school. Livid. Yeah, and and people protested, and it's says um, someone made a point that they're not like they're just teaching them that people can love whoever they want. They're not teaching yeah. them like sex techniques. You know, one one point that I saw was after years of having all of this heteronormative information forced on me, mm-hmm. I've strangely somehow still not become straight. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's that's an interesting flip point, where it's like, the amount of information we get, why are, like, LGBT plus, why, why aren't we straight? There is... If, you know, these media and this information somehow influences us. I saw someone on Twitter who, who thought that the schools were trying to make their children gay by teaching them about LGBT people. Then they have zero concept of what it actually means to yeah. be gay. And because then, you don't become gay. You don't you become gay, you just are, are gay. <laughs> and I think the earlier we start teaching basics, mm-hmm. like, you know, two women can love each other the same way as two men can love each other, the same way as a man and a woman can love each other. Mm-hmm. If that's the information from a child, like I got where it's just like, oh, they just love each other. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, as, as I say, information sinks in easier when you're, when you're a child. You know, yeah. it, it, it's much easier to grasp that idea that anyone mm. can love anyone at six years old than it is at 26. Yeah. You know, because by the time you get to adulthood, you already have ideas formed in your head of what is what mm. is normal and what is other. Even though yeah. I don't like using the word normal to describe this situation because it, cause it implies that Anything, that else, any, anything isn't. else isn't normal, but you know. Mm. But it's, I mean, we need to learn from a young age that certain relationships are healthy and other relationships aren't. We're focusing too much on people's assumed gender, act, you know, preferred gender, actual gender, and their sexuality. We're taking too much. Well, we're focusing too much on other people's genitalia instead of right this form of relationship is healthy this form of relationship is unhealthy mm-hmm. when you find yourself in this situation with 
whomever it is, mm-hmm. regardless of gender, these are the things that you need to use to, to be safe. So growing up as a kid, I was taught, right, if somebody offers you sweets, say no. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, I've got a puppy in a van, don't go in there. Go to an adult that mm-hmm. you know and trust. These are just safety precautions. So why shouldn't we learn, oh, if somebody in a relationship is saying, you need to do this, or I'm going to touch you there, like, you say no, mm-hmm. run away and, you know, get help. It's different context, and the media definitely does play a part in that. Because mm-hmm. We see this from an early age in TV shows. Yeah. Where I think in Coronation Street at the moment, there's a storyline um, where there's a lesbian couple, and one of them really wants a baby and she was going to sleep with a man mm-hmm. and it's just why can't they just one be consent you know consent is a thing where it's just like look we want a child can you just you know give us a donation and we'll mm-hmm. just be on our way you know, yeah. be on our way yeah and instead it was like no this girl is going to cheat on her partner with a man because that's how lesbians work yeah I I also don't think the media helps when when they make a big kind of storm about a a new film surrounding mm. LGBT relationships. Yeah. It, whenever there's a film about a gay character that comes out, there always seems to be this this. Um, it's not like a oh this is gay. It's really weird. It's a kind of oh this is gay. Therefore it's different. Therefore we must promote it because it's a new thing. And it, wh- mm. whereas if if they were to just normalize it and yeah. to say this is There's a film, this film yeah with this romance thing yeah and then people go watch it's like oh this is a romance about gay people yeah but look at how much they care for each other and oh the way that this partner looks after that partner or that partner says they love you in like this way of oh they've written notes I wish my partner does that or my partner does do that and that's sweet like straight people can relate to gay couples in that sense of I remember last year I went to go see Mm. Love Simon Mm. and um, that that is (laughs) it's kind of on one level it's about the the concept of coming out Mm. as gay and the the idea that that could be taken away from someone there's um Part of the part of the the kind of drama of the film is that someone else gets hold of these emails mm. sent between Simon and this person called Blue, who is also gay, who doesn't want to come out yet. And mm. someone else gets hold of these and then leaks leaks the yeah. the emails to the school to outing Simon to everyone, and mm. which they they portray as being this really horrible thing and. But the whole gay thing is portrayed as it's being perfectly normal, you know. Yeah. Um, Simon comes out, everyone's fat fine with it. Mm. He, at the end, he has a, a very he finds a boyfriend, and it's just seen as yeah. normal, you know. But there's still very much that threat of, you know, LGBTQ plus people need to come out, and there's that threat of it's not safe to come out because mm-hmm. there's been far too many instances where we've just been straight up murdered yeah yeah <laughs> we've been attacked that, harassed that's fired more, more of a threat it's, in certain parts of the world but it's yeah. in, in ways I mean in the everywhere. UK we do thank god currently have certain laws that protect us from this mm-hmm. you know our you know police force work so hard protecting us mm-hmm. whereas in places like America it's mm-hmm. just like there are places where you can be fired yeah 
There's still can. a certain amount of states where that is still yeah, illegal. Yeah, I mean, there's still places where lynchings happen. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's 20 by team, people. The, <laughs> the, um, the, there's also a concept that kind of, that's mm. funny to me, that you have to come out as if it's something that has to be said and has yeah. to be stated. It's like, like straight people don't have to do the thing of... Um, I'm, I'm straight, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like nobody... I don't understand why that has to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm, for instance, I'm bi or pansexual, however you want to put it. Mm. And um, a, a lot of people don't know this and are very surprised when they find out. But it's it's like... I'm not going to open a conversation with it because to yeah. me it's not worth talking it's, about. It's, it's not just, like one of those things them. of, oh, hi, I'm Angel, I'm Pan Ace. Yeah. I'm like, well, what's a Pan Ace? What? <laughs> like, it, no, it, well, what I view it is it, it's not a big enough part of my personality to need to talk about. It's just something I am. You know? Yeah, for for me, it's like, I'll only talk about it if it's sort of necessary. Uh, there's these instances. And if I'm like interested in a person, which is like, yeah. so I'm actually attracted to... like whatever i'm mm-hmm. gonna go and approach whoever and be like right so do you want to hang out whatever i'm really socially awkward that's how i try to ask people I'm like, do you want to hang out with them and people are just like oh yeah friend damn it i'm trying to flirt because the, the, <laughs> it's just like wait what's the cues again all right hand on the shoulder i already did that damn <laughs> because the, the, the other thing you mentioned about yourself is you're an ace as well which mm. means asexual for anyone who doesn't know and then for, for, for those who, who wants uh uh, uh, reference of this if you watch the fourth season on was of Bojack Horseman the character of, of uh, um, Chad uh, Chad? not Chad what's his name? I haven't seen oh Bojack. I can't remember his name now it's there's Bo- so many things you've mentioned I was like I've Bo- seen that anyway Bojack's it's... best friend comes out in the fourth season as asexual to mm. a, a, a girlfriend friend of his mm. and it, the way it's handled really well because it's explained that, um, they expl- explain it in a kind of way mm. that's expositional but also educational yeah so like i'm sure it's chad it's in the beginning with c no his last name's chavez that's todd it's todd todd okay todd chavez right and um he gets into a relationship with another ace mm. whose um family is um kind of sex mad um her, her, her mother's a. uh, uh a sexual ther- therapist. Mm. Um, her her sister's a, a kind of um, she a very pro- provocative person, mm. and um, the the whole tension of them episodes is um, they they make it they want to know how many times Todd and his girlfriend have had sex because that's how they see a relationship. Yeah. And but why is that so important? I know, but, but anyway, I'm getting to the crux of the the the, mm. the point here is um, you you said like when you're attracted to someone and you want to when, when do you broach the subject of being asexual that's sort of a it, it depends largely on the actual situation mm-hmm. and who it is usually I generally don't even bother approaching people <laughs> it's it's got to that stage now because like during my teen years before i even knew what asexual was outside of like biophysiology like mm-hmm. i grew up believing like asexuality is something that snails are because they yeah, can, yeah. like reproduce, reproduce themselves asexual. like spiders are asexuals and i'm just like okay then but then when i found the alternative meaning in terms of sexuality where it's like 
limited to zero attract you know sexual attraction Mm -hmm. or desire to be in a sexual relationship and i'm like that actually makes so much sense Mm -hmm. because during like my teen and early 20s i was just like i want to be in a relationship with people and i'm like look i'm not ready to have sex yet Mm -hmm. and i don't know when i'll be ready to like have sex and if you know so I'd, i'd appreciate it if you'd like wait and mm-hmm. like not pressure me into things which is a very difficult thing for yeah. teenagers to process and early 20 people yeah and they usually around the three month mark that's like the longest i think people were just like so are we actually gonna be like having sex and i'm just like i still don't feel ready mm-hmm. and then during my last serious relationship this was like five years ago mm-hmm. more than five years ago now i think um I just thought, right, just get it over and done with. Mm-hmm. And that's basically when I started finding out about what asexual asexuality is in mm-hmm. terms of sexuality. And it was just the thing of, I did that because I felt like I needed to. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of out of love for my partner, but there's a lot of issues with that relationship. It wasn't a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, and now I'm very vocal about where it's like, we need to learn about healthy relationships and mm-hmm. respecting boundaries. And no definitely means no. And it was just, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just I didn't desire it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it. And I still don't want it. And, I'm, 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 I'm going to bring to, this back around yeah. to film as well, by the way. But I, I just wanted to get a kind of context on what, yeah. what, this, what this means to someone who is asexual. It's absolutely everywhere like mm. the, the message of a loving relationship is a sexual relationship yeah. is absolutely everywhere the idea of being in an asexual relationship means that somehow in one way or another you are completely and utterly weird mm-hmm. or some I, I mean i got the the message of you're an abomination right. um i was offered an exorcism at one point right sounds fun <laughs> I the only thing that stopped me was I didn't have enough money for a passport. I would have got that exorcism, <laughs> and it's just there's such a huge stigmatization against being ace because it's like how can you not want to have sex? And I'm like, I don't understand the need or that urge to have sex well there, so there are basically uh, <laughs> there are basically only two reasons to want it is for the enjoyment or to procreate and but i can find enjoyment in other ways if you don't if you don't enjoy it's, it and you don't want to procreate then yeah. you just don't want like it the the reasoning that i've been given by people is oh but it's a form of intimacy mm-hmm. and i'm like there's many there's other forms of intimacy so many so many different ways of being intimate like some of the times when I've asked, you know, my friends where it's just like, well, with your partner when you're being intimate, like, what do you feel, like, brings them the most joy and the most happiness? Mm -hmm. What are the things that bring them the absolute immense sadness? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when they have this overwhelming sense of ennui, what brings it on? And people are like, that's a bit deep. That's my idea of intimacy. Of, Mm -hmm. um, like, the idea of romance seems to be slightly different because I'm more like breakfast in bed mm-hmm. definitely and you know like I mentioned earlier where it's like writing little notes for mm-hmm. your partner to be like you know um, that that thing I've, I've got this thing from um, 
Oh, what is it? P.S. I Still Love You? Or is it the one before that? P.S. I All love the boys you. I've loved before. Right. Yeah, where um, Peter writes notes to um, Lara Jean mm-hmm. and he says, um, I like the blue sweater you wore. Blue really suits you. Please mm-hmm. wear it more. That's kind of like a nice, cute sort of request. Mm-hmm. But it's like he's writing notes every single day and they get sweeter and cuter and more intimate as they go along. And it's like, oh, he did genuinely care about me. He did genuinely think about me. He wrote things that were relevant to mm. me. The um, the other aspect of the mm. asexual character in Bojack Horseman mm. is um, it explains that asexual people aren't not interested in having a relationship they're mm. just not interested in the sexual relationship. Yeah. Because to me, and I assume to a lot of other people, I hadn't come across something that had exposed mm. an asexual relationship before. I had no idea yeah. how one how one worked, and it was, it, was, it was very nice to see a story from that perspective. Yeah. So what I'm going to br- bring it round mm. to now is um, are there actually any films that you can think of that that show an asexual relationship? The only thing that I can think of... Bert and Ernie. But that's a kid's show. So they can't show anything sexual. But even then, strictly speaking, most of the Sesame Street characters would be asexual because as you Because say, you don't see it. Yeah. You can't assume anything. And, and what kind of... And, and What does that actually say about me? Where it's like the only representation I can think of are puppets you should definitely watch Bojack Horseman yeah because you would love that and um, and it's on just, Netflix it's a Netflix series so yeah I'm just I'm struggling to think of anything where it's like See, this is another oh my God, there's an ace character uh, there is something yeah. this is an area of but it's, that's pretty much untouched by, by cinema that... in so many ways <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's uh, there, there needs to be more like I uh, I what yeah no I can't even say that anymore, like Sheldon and Amy because they've done it now yeah, and even then I don't think it was a a thing a, of he was actually ace it was yeah to do with just Sheldon some, being weird yeah. which again with the inclusion of is Sheldon actually like on the autism spectrum disorder or I've, is that something they're still skirting around because I stopped always, watching that well, I got so frustrated with that it's finished now hasn't it so, which is good because mm. it should have finished about four years ago mm. but um, mm. the one of the reasons I stopped watching is because I'd always loved the character of Sheldon because mm. in many ways I saw kind of aspects of myself and it was very mm. awkward around people but they weren't actually making any statements about anything. They, see, they could have used Sheldon as a way of kind of explaining autistic and Asperger's behaviour and normalising yeah. it, but they didn't. They just kind of made it that Sheldon was just kind of really weird and Some socially inept, and yeah, like and like, they made him really obnoxious, and and, yeah. and that yeah, the, and that's that's a stigma that people you know on the spectrum get a lot, mm. and it's just. There, I mean, it's a spectrum from a, for a reason because there's a wide range. Like with asexuality, there's a wide range of how people are. Like there's different sort of symptoms, as they've been called, or at least my doctors have called it. Um, I would call it more ticks. Yeah, ticks them. Because I'm, yeah. I have. What language do we use? Here? <laughs> I have a, a few autistic friends and. Mm. 
There I'm aut- finally getting screened. There are autism manifests <laughs> okay. in many different ways. Yeah, what is that? I'm, I'm finally getting screened um, the, next the, month. For for it's... forever and ever, the only the only showing of autistic people was Rain Man. For, yeah, for years and years. It's that extreme end of the, yeah. the spectrum where it's like, no, they're completely and utterly like they're just so weird and. They, they they're so socially awkward and they have all these immense problems. And whereas... I and I love Rain Man. I yeah. think Rain Man is a I great mean, film. Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman's it's... fantastic in it. But it's the representation could have been better. Yeah, they they could have had other autistic people or people with Asperger's alongside Dustin Hoffman to be like, look, this is the spectrum. This is the difference. We it have didn't... some that. Are completely mute. Some that you know display echolalia. Some where it's like they constantly need to do puzzles, and some where it's just like, oh, you're on the spectrum. He did actually. He he did actually spend a lot of time with autistics to research. He did his research. Um, But the other thing about films is, in a lot of ways, it's people's only exposure to these problems is through films. So that they'll see this character in a film and think well that's that's what what must yeah. what they must be like because it's their point of view on what these symptoms or these tics or the disability is you're getting an abled person's perspective mm-hmm. instead of an actual you know person from that community how they live how they view they mm-hmm. like, i know with with certain with some of my disabilities like with the the pain it's so much easier to just mask all of that and pretend, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in pain. I don't feel like my knee is literally going to explode any second by making a joke and smiling. Mm-hmm. I fake being well, and maybe it's my ego talking, but I think I fake it pretty well. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> um, the other thing is, like, it's... things like that are treated as kind of side mm. stories as but well. I, yeah, I think film. one thing that able bodied actors miss are the tells. Mm hmm. Because with, I think with our community of, like, especially with chronic pain, I think we spot with each other when somebody is actually in pain in the way that they move, Mm -hmm. when they sort of speak a certain way. Like, I know when I get tired or I'm in pain, I either start rambling more Mm -hmm. or I start speaking slower. Mm. And there's certain times where I just don't make sense. So my mum usually picks up on that and just like have you actually taken your medication on time today? Mm-hmm. Have you actually taken your pain medication? Do you need to up your dose? Have you seen your doctor? And there's yeah, there's certain body language as well that I think abled actors... There's a lot, a lot of disabilities out. that don't get mm. a kind of airing in film. I, mm. There are certain films where I've seen good portrayals of kind of depression mm. and anxiety and things like that. Mm. Um, one that I watched recently, which was Afterlife on Netflix, which was a TV mm. series, that was a showing of kind of... First of all, it was Ricky Gervais, mm. who really is a very underrated writer when it comes to bittersweetness. Like, mm. he, he, took, he had this take on depression, loneliness, and grief that kind of went from him just being angry at the world to him... Accepting, yeah. accepting grief and finding a way to deal with it by the end of it. But he's speaking from his own personal experience. No, that, no, isn't he? no, no, not that I know of. I thought Ricky Gervais did have depression. Oh, uh, possibly. Yeah. Um. I, I thought you meant the grief perspective. I, I, I don't know whether Ricky Gervais does have depression, but um. Ah. 
I do know that um, when he when he made Derek a few years mm. ago, that was based around um, all of his relatives are pretty much working care. So yeah. he he made this series around a care home, and the character of Derek, um, which he played, of course, was never actually explicitly stated that he had anything wrong with him. Just that, well, like Sheldon, yeah. but a lot more subtle. Yeah. Like in a lot of ways that people seemed to know that he had something wrong with him but he didn't want to know because mm. he'd his he didn't want to be seen as different he just, his life was how it was yeah be accepted and a part of and that that's yeah. why i think he's a very underrated writer because he yeah. he can take these difficult things even though Ricky Gervais has a has a reputation for kind of opening his mouth at, and <laughs> saying saying certain things but when when he actually tries to to portray a situation he's very very good at it mm. He has his moments, he, he, good and bad. He's, 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 I'll be honest, he's one of those artists that I tend to avoid because when he gets it, dare I say, wrong, mm. not the best choice of words, but when he when he misses the beat, he misses it dramatically. I very much enjoy pretty much everything he's done. Mm. I'm a big fan of his stand-up um, as well because mm. I don't think any of it comes from a place of malice. Like, mm. I don't... It's again in, intentions and context. Yeah, like he, he, he makes jokes about these things because that's what they're intended to be—jokes. They're not supposed yeah. to be taken seriously. But the there's sometimes where jokes. I mean, I'm I'm on the opinion of jokes are meant to benefit the jokey and not the joker, and sometimes jokes are a form of bullying. It does mock people that. Mm-hmm. Just don't need it. I'm of the opinion there's, that uh, I mean, there's certain styles of humor where it is very degrading, and I think what purpose is this actually serving? Well, a, a lot of the purpose is to. I've always thought of in a situation that the more you joke about something, the less frightening it becomes, which mm. is why. It's the reason why Mel Brooks made the Nazis to be such a big joke. Yes. Because he he, he because makes jokes about who Nazis. Is, who exactly is that dehumanising? Is yeah. it actually dehumanising anyone? Or is it turning this god-awful villain into something where it's like, they're pathetic? It's like, he, and... he, he, he said himself that he mm. makes jokes about Nazis to make them look as stupid as they are. Yes. That, and... But then there's the flip side where it's like... Um, I can see him, but I'm I'm struggling with names. Is it Louis C.K.? No, it's a Scottish comedian. Frankie he, Boyle. Yeah, he's I made some... I love Frankie Boyle. He's made some absolutely awful jokes. I mean, there was the joke about um, Katie Price's son, who's it, disabled, now, and that was completely out of taste, no, and no, that was out of order. No, this, this, is, a, order. this is a point I will defend. <laughs> it wasn't about her son, it was about her. If, if if you look at the context of the joke, it was not about Harvey. It was about Katie Price. But he he did say that you know she needed somebody who did MMA to stop her son from raping her. Yeah, that is completely and utterly out of order because you're saying, oh, her son is that disabled. He's that out of it, or he's he he villainized a disabled person and basically made him out to be a rapist. I, I see it as more vilifying it's, Katie Price myself. It, it it vilified both of them. 
And I mean, I don't entirely agree with Katie Price. There's certain things, you know, that she's said and she's done that I don't condone. But, but at the it's end of the day, it's also not intended it's, to be taken like, as a serious statement. But the effects that it has, intentions aside, mm-hmm. are serious because it was yet another joke at the expense of a disabled person. But is that Frankie's problem, or is that the problem of the person it's who's offended? It's Frankie's problem because it is adding to. Oh my God, look, <laughs> disabled person. Yeah, that it. It just adds to the issue of how we're represented. Because it's yet another thing of disabled people are being vilified. They're being portrayed as something that we're not. Again, it, I, I don't think it was vilifying of, him. I think it was vilifying to, Katie. To sort of quote Doctor Who, it just adds to the bad pile. I should respectfully disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm offended. Because, Get out of my house. Because I'll, I'll... But no, it's but there's the thing of to respectfully disagree as well. Where the... it's like, oh no, this is exactly what he did and this is exactly his intention. It's like, well, from my point of view, I disagree. I think it's in, in bad taste. But... but you find the humour in it. Yeah. You found something funny in it. I didn't the... and what I'll do go we do back... from I like... go back to something that Ricky Gervais said. Just because you're offended doesn't mm. mean you're right. That, I can't believe I'm saying this because it's Ricky Gervais, but I do actually agree with that. Mm. There's it, Because there's context and intentions and... It says, it says uh, George... Consequences as well. George Carlin once said that there are no mm. such thing as bad words, only bad intentions. Mm. Like with, with certain words that, you know, different communities are trying to reclaim. Mm-hmm. It's like we're trying to change the meaning of them or how we feel about them but there's certain communities where we're not at that stage yet where other communities can come in and keep using those words like with the African American community when saying the n-word that's theirs Mm -hmm. they're reclaiming that we are not at the stage where anyone else Mm -hmm. can say that with like the LGBT community when you know we use the T word or the F word we are not at the stage where we are safe enough for other people to use that and not have Mm -hmm. like terrifying consequences so what's your what's your stance on Quentin Tarantino's scripts often using the N word then so he's a white writer putting it in a black person's mouth a white writer Mm -hmm. personal opinion at this particular moment in history a white writer shouldn't be appropriating black culture it's not for him to do I don't think he's again I don't really think he's appropriating it he's using it for his own good Mm. he's using it in in his art in his work for his own gain what does the the black or the african american community gain from from that if it's what does it if, lose if it's samuel, from it if it's samuel jackson saying it ad lib mm. like if he's like you know he's read the script and he's just like you know because we all know he will say motherfucker yeah in absolutely everything if he wants to say that as a black person that's his word that's part of his culture his community his history if he wants to say that, that's down to him. But if a white writer writes that, mm-hmm. knowing full well that it's a slur, knowing full well the god-awful history behind it, the amount of deaths and abuse and violence behind that word, mm-hmm. why does he have the right 
to use that in his well, work. If you look at it in another context, mm. um, he used it in Django Unchained, which yeah. was it would have been used. So damn good point. Because there's the historical context. Yeah, because he mm. he. I don't think he ever uses because it gratuitously. It was used as as an example of this person is such a vile person. Yeah. In that context. As I say, I don't think he's just... ever used it gratuitously. Is it, is it, I think, to my knowledge, he's only ever used it A, with a historical context, mm. or B, through a character that would say it. So, for instance, Julius from Pulp Fiction, or yeah. any Samuel Jackson character. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I can see Samuel Jackson saying that. And there's the thing of... With the way that Samuel Jackson is, mm-hmm. if he disagreed with it, he'd have said he'd something. He'd have said something, He yeah. would have said something. So and, probably, and the way that Quentin Tarantino is, he mm-hmm. wasn't going to force him to, yeah. to say it. But there's the thing of, from a white perspective, as a writer, it's not something that I'd feel... Unless there is... Yeah, it's not context, something. Yeah, yeah, that's not something I'd feel comfortable with. Hmm. But I'm I'm too sensitive about these things. <laughs> I'll admit that I'm too sensitive about these things because there's there's a it, in a way it's important to be sensitive, but in a way you have to desensitize mm. yourself to a lot of things, and especially when you, it comes to the world yeah. of film. You can't stay around in bubble wrap, but there's. There's not a need to contribute towards bigotry. No, and, and it's, in it's a way that, that I don't of... think Quentin Tarantino ever has. Yeah. Um, no, you have a point there. He, his, his films have always been kind of decried for being either violent or mm. lewd, but and the foot fetish. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like to say anything <laughs> on that. That's his own personal preference, and I'm yeah. not about to kink shame here. I'm not kink shaming. That's a no go for me. Um, but. But I just want to mention it. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> I I'm think he, he's he always uses it to make a good film. Yeah. You know. I mean, it it just kind of serve a purpose. Yeah. Because like, there's that scene in Kill Bill mm-hmm. where he actually uses like foot fetish thing, where it's just like, okay, we're going to make the toes move. Mm-hmm. It served a purpose. Like, look at Reservoir Dogs or Pulp, mm. Pulp Fiction. Would those films be the same without the violence or the swearing? True. They they, they wouldn't. They they're True. great they, they'd films be because of their different. yeah completely different and and he's the kind of person that has hopped onto this and made mm. it his own mm. you, every Quentin Tarantino film is unmistakably a Quentin Tarantino film yeah like his style has it's evolved but you know a Tarantino when you see a Tarantino yeah he's he, he's got certain motifs that he's established yeah. now it's like with Tim Burton his work has has evolved and it's moved and it's grown. I would, I would, I would but... say devolved myself, but that's just personal opinion. I don't. I don't think Tim Burton's made a good film in ten to fifteen years, depending on how. I mean, when was? I'm just trying to think of like the last really good film of that that I've personally like really enjoyed and was like, my god, this is a Burton film. I mean, if you're really thinking... really generous, it'd be Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Sweeney Todd, but I'm thinking like Nightmare Before Christmas. That Coraline, was Nan- did he do Coraline? No, he didn't. He, he, he didn't do Coraline. That seems like a Burton film. Though. It's not. It's a Neil Neil Gaiman. Gaiman, yeah, yeah. I know it's the Gaiman story, but yeah, like... he he didn't direct it. And in fact, no. I, I think uh, I'm not sure, but it might have been Henry Selick who directed Nightmare Before Christmas. Because Tim Burton didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas, he just wrote it. 
So it's not a full Burton film. It is. It's Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. It's, that's what yeah. it's called. And it's he it's, wrote it's not, it and produced it, but it's not directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, I mean that's. So it's still a Burton film. It's his vision, just yeah. not him directing it. Yeah. In the same way that Alita was James Cameron's vision, but directed mm. by Robert Rodriguez. Oh. See, this is where we're going to authorship, isn't it? Yeah. which that's that's its own segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think we've covered a lot of ground oh, here. We're, this has been a nearly two-hour conversation. My goodness, so, two um, hours already. So um, I think we're going to wrap it up. Otherwise, this is going to be very difficult to listen to. This will be a twenty-four-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, have, have you got any anywhere we can find you? Any websites, blogs, whatever? Anything um, you'd like to plug? Do you have a you've got so a little craft private. website where you sell stuff, don't you? Or, um, not at the moment. At the I'm moment. rebuilding that because right, okay. I'm a perfectionist. Well, um, <laughs> but, uh, keep when, an eye on, on my Twitter feed, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll retweet something about no, it. No, that's um, Scorpio Rabbit eighty seven. That's mm-hmm. on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And um, mine is you can find me at Nathan Ken Major or at Mr Opinion Critic, and you can find all my written work at mropinionatedweb.com. This podcast is hosted at mropinionatedweb.buzzsprout.com, and I think that's about all the plugging I've got to do. So thank you to my guest Angel Roloffs. <laughs> thank you. I'm determined to get that name right <laughs> at least once. And uh, thanks for joining me, Angel. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again at some point. Yeah, hopefully soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.